Have you got any amusing anecdotes for the for the start? Um, I've got the the the, um, the the install was was an entertaining one. Uh, Go on. We said before. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to step up, step back, step away from these installs, these big jobs. And I was trying to do this little little job um, that turned into something bigger. And the, what I really didn't want to do was the installs. The installs, you know, I don't mind doing a set of shelves for somebody popping it on a wall. But this thing was, when I went to take a look, it was the fourth floor, big, sort of lovely old Victorian terraced house in Notting Hill Gate. And lots and lots of stairs, obviously no lift because of the age of the property. Very difficult to get to. I was going to try and deliver it all myself, but in the end I thought, it's a, this thing ended up being so heavy. The top half, I think I mentioned, it's got to go into two in, in two sections, and the top half was was the thirteen hundred tall, uh, four twenty two mil shards, two sides. So you know, weighed weighed a fair bit, and I probably could have done it, but I th- looked at it and I thought, you know what, uh, this is going to be a stretch getting this upstairs. I gave, gave the guy that I use for my deliveries a very quick call, and. Uh, the, Purely by luck, he could actually fit me in. So he gave me a hand to get it all in. Still took a good sort of 20 minutes, half an hour to get the stuff up there. Uh, I got the install done. It went in fine. No no major dramas. Few few little niggles with it. And, of course, you had to take paintings down. You got very artsy sort of apartment. Paintings everywhere. I had to take paintings down off the awkward spot at the top of the stairs so that we didn't knock it on the way up and would, would you mind terribly just sort of give me a hand to get the paintings but yeah oh, that's fine oh and, and it's terribly heavy would you mind helping me get the safe into the cabinet so, uh, and there's this the safe is going into the cabinet <laughs> nobody's mentioned this before oh, there, there was a safe in the space that uh when i went to measure it and obviously that's coming out but she wanted it to go into the cabinet she hadn't mentioned this at all is this a particularly big safe it's a it's a document safe so not huge but heavy yeah it almost filled the space that was between the wall this wardrobe and the wall yeah so i thought oh well i didn't i didn't really uh okay so i put a tape measure on it and it looked like it was going to be very tight and i offered i sort of it's quite heavy so I, i sort of offered it up and lifted one half in and it looked like it might just about go so i had to take the door off take the hinge plates off take the latch off because it's a locking cabinet and the penny started to drop this is why she wanted a locking cabinet this was not mentioned in any of the discussions in any of the emails and i swear i could not have made it a better fit if i'd have been making it to fit if i'd have been making it to fit this safe i would not have made it this tight there was barely a millimeter on each side to fit this damn thing in but, and it was just deep enough as well. Uh, you know, talk about lucky. But you didn't. But you didn't uh, design it for this at all. I didn't design it for this at all. Oh my word! N- not at all. And you know, I, better to be lucky than good. It happened to fit perfectly, and it would even sit in far enough. Because of course, I put an inset door on yeah. it as well, so the, the depth was slightly critical. Uh, it would even sit in far enough that the. You could keep the key in the lock of the safe and still close and lock the cabinet door as well. So uh, we got away with that one. Wow. <laughs> I walked away from there thinking, oh, my God, of all the things I was worried about on the install, not getting the safe in is was the least of them because it just wasn't on my radar 
at all. That could have been the start of a very bad day if if it didn't fit. Uh, yeah, and it was late as well. The, the only time she could do it was I could I could have access between three and five on a on midweek. So not really the time of day that you want to be finding problems. And parking is a nightmare on the street as well. It's it's all around Notting Hill, lovely lovely area, but a big row of terraced houses, big old terraced houses, four stories and a lower ground floor, all converted to flats. Residents parking on all along either side, apart from three bays <laughs> on one end of the opposite street, and she's almost exactly in the middle. So oh. yeah, a bit of bit of a headache, um, <laughs> but we got away with it. Didn't we? Oh, there you go, subconsciously <laughs> made to measure, made to measure. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and again, like with all these things, we've said it before. I don't care how many, I don't care who you are, how many times you've done it. When you actually. St- until you're there on site and you actually offer up that plinth or that cabinet to fit into the space. Uh, there's always a little tickle of doubt in the back of your mind that it may not fit or that we haven't measured the wall properly or that the wall's going to squeeze in into the corner or whatever it is, yeah, until you actually get it in there and get it, get it fitted. You've got to measure up. You do, you do. On that note... <laughs> And on that note, welcome back to the Nudging Up Podcast, the UK's first, and we like to think favourite, uh, weekly accidental electric vehicle show, uh, as well as a little bit of uh, tools and timber, uh, and, and a touch of small business banter as well. I'm Peter Millard, and as well as running a virtual 10-minute workshop on YouTube, I also run a small and far from perfectly filmed workshop in the no-man's land of West London. And I'm Andy McClellan, and I run the Gossip Handyman YouTube channel, and a bunch of other YouTube channels that I seem to be collecting. And together we do all sorts of nattering about business stuff and YouTube stuff and mating stuff and above everything else. How are you doing today, Peter? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm uh, I, Yes, I have a spring in my step, not just because I managed to complete this install, but also we've had new carpets fitted. It is like treading on freshly mown grass, if only freshly mown grass smelled of new carpet. Uh, yeah, that, we thought, oh God, what a mess. I mean, three, three guys, we've had a whole stairs and landing uh, on sorry, not not ground floor stairs up to the first floor, and two more sets of stairs up to the loft. All the landings and three bedrooms wow. recarpeted, and three guys rattle through it and taking taking up as well. They rattle through it in about five hours. Really amazing, yeah. My uh, God, I, yeah. If it was Talk a perf- if fast. it was a perfectly square room, uh, maybe two weeks. Mm. <laughs> you know? At least a carpet fit is honestly it's a, it's a it's another black art yeah. just like plastering. Like, like I don't plastering, understand. Yeah, yeah well, I don't understand how they do it. Makes I've no got to sense. confess, I've had like magic. I've had three three packs of flooring clicked together, vinyl flooring to go in our bathroom, which I've just I'm looking at that and thinking I don't want to do that. <laughs> so they're coming back to do it next week. Um, uh, I mean, I did uh, I did my son's bathroom. My son lives in Southampton. I did a bathroom for him last year. And we use the same sort of flooring, and it's it's horrible. I hate it. It's that click together stuff, but the ends click together as well. So you almost got to get it into a long plank, the length of the room, and then click that entire plank in. It goes in sort of at an angle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In. I know that. Yeah. So you can't fit a single piece in at a time. And I came away from my son's bathroom saying, "I am never going to fit that stuff again," only to get home and find that Mister <laughs> Ten Minutes had ordered some for our bathroom. So oh. it's been it's been sat under a bed for. Uh, uh, for <clears throat> getting on for a year, and uh, fortunately, uh, uh, the guys are, are, are happy to come and fit it next week for uh, <laughs> a very modest sum. So 
Good for them. I've I've done the odd floor for customers, and I vowed never to do it again. I had back in the handyman days. I had one customer who I used to do everything for, like just bits and pieces. And they they had this little kitchen, um, just a tiny little kitchenette type thing. And they said, "Oh, we want some lino put down in here." Uh-huh. It was a, and it was a really awkward shape. Loads of cutouts everywhere. Yeah. None of the walls were square. And I said, I, I don't do flooring. And I says, I definitely don't do lino. Mm. I says, I, I wouldn't know where to start. And they were like, oh, well, you would do a better job than me. And you're here, and I really want it done. And I said, honestly, I, I don't think I would do a better job than you. I, it, it'll be really, really rough if, if I do it. And they were like, I don't care. Please, can you do it? I, I really want you to do it. And it was like, oh, right. So I'd, And I said, well, look, I w- I'll do it, and I'll just charge it on hourly rate or yeah. whatever, but please don't expect it to be a good job. Yeah. I can't do flooring. I don't understand it. It makes no sense, yeah. and I, I, it, it'll be terrible. And we're like, it's fine. Don't yeah. worry. I don't want to do it. We're, we're moving out anyway. It just needs to be like a temporary yeah. scrap of lino. And honestly, I made this – I ended up having to make a template of the room. <laughs> yes out of um, scraps of newspaper um, because I couldn't think of any other way of getting the shape of the room. Because you can't get the lino in, the covering in. No, no way. To cut, it's just, no. And lino rips really easily as well. So if you're you're trying to manhandle this big piece into the room and you can accidentally put a rip in the middle of it. The, The worst one is that marmoleum. Right. Have you ever come across that? It's the eco-friendly alternative. It's made from linseed oil, basically. okay, okay. Thinly pressed. It's, I mean, it's, it is lovely stuff. It comes in great colours and patterns and all that, and it's eco-friendly and it doesn't get static or any of that kind of stuff. But it it it's unbelievably fragile around the edges. You can tear it so easily. Oh. And of course, fine if you're putting down tiles, but if you're pulling down a full sheet of it, it's oh, honestly. So I made this template of the room out of um, bits of paper taped together, and I was like, I was as careful as I could possibly be making the template. Yeah, and then moved that onto the piece of lino, drew round it, cut it out, put it in. Did it fit? Did it hell? It, like, it was like, uh, how between making the template and cutting the, the bit of lino out, it radically changed shape? I have no idea. So there was bits where the lino just wasn't big enough. You know, I, I'd cut it too much off, and it's like, well, yeah. what the hell do you do about that? I'm literally going round with a Sharpie, at the edge of the pieces of, of the liner where you can see like the white bit, the white edges where you're cutting that. And I said to her, I said, look, I'm really, really sorry. I said, look, I can't charge you for anything for this. This is an awful job. I've ruined your lino. And she was like, oh, she says, it's absolutely fine. She says, it's, it's not a problem. It's better than anything I would have done. And I was like, well, look, I'm sorry. Please don't tell anyone I did this because it's like... <laughs> That's because your reputation. Yeah, yeah. And, but it, How it long did just, you spend on it out of interest? Oh, a whole, whole day. You know, oh, a, a carpet fitter would have had it done in like an hour or something. Yeah. I was on it for ages. And it was just one of those jobs where it was like, I should have put my foot down and just said, no, I am not doing it. But, I, well, as I say, I tried, but the, they weren't having any of it. And... um I was I was guilted into doing it, and it was just horrific. It was it was the worst job I ever did. Yeah, did you get the big cow eyes looking at you? Oh, oh, are Please. you sure you can't do it? Yeah, yeah. 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 And and I said, look, I'm I'm so sorry. This is it's the best I can do. And they were like, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. We're we're selling the house. We just needed yeah. something to just cover up what yeah. was there. Also, can you just brush paint this MDF for me? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, that that went down in history of one of the worst worst quality jobs that I ever did, yeah. and uh, let us never talk about it again. No, well, I think over the years we've done a few of those, haven't we? But uh, yes, mm. best uh, best not discussed in too much detail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Talking of never doing stuff again. Yes. Uh, this is the final show of season four of the Measuring Up podcast. We've been having a little bit of a chat about this over the last few weeks. Uh, and this is actually going to be the final show of the Measuring Up podcast. Uh, we're not going to do uh, any more. We had a chat about this, about where we thought the podcast was going, what we wanted to do with the podcast when we first started it. And certainly... When we first started, it, my my sort of pitch, if you like, to to my subscribers on the channel was that it's a little bit about woodworking and joinery, a little bit about small business, a little bit about YouTube, a little bit about tools and technology and working in small spaces, the kind of stuff that we're interested in, plus the topics of the day, whatever takes our fancy, or whatever's whatever's been suggested by you, our listeners. And I think we kind of covered that pretty well. I don't think it's been very necessarily very evenly distributed. <laughs> we did a lot more of the joinery and and woodworky type stuff early on. In, in the early series. Um, but it's it, it's been an amazing journey uh, and we've learned a huge amount, but of course all journeys need to end. And I think by a mutual agreement, we've decided to end it here on a relatively high note rather than, I, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure, Andy, that we could do another 50 shows or another 250 shows, but we'd end up rambling incoherently at the end of it and we'll just pause there for other people to make their own jokes yeah. and we'll we'll explain a bit more about the business side and and that sort of thing on the we'll we'll do a special patreon after show yeah just explaining the the business side of things which has certainly been a uh it's not the be all and end all of, of why we've decided to call it a day at 50 but it's certainly a factor um and we'll explain a bit more of that on the patreon but as you say, um, we decided we'd rather end on a high. We, when we first started out, we didn't know whether we were going to do 10 episodes or 20 episodes, and here we are 50 episodes down the line, two years later, and we've covered everything we initially set out to talk about. We've had an amazing time. And I think the important thing to remember as well is just because this show is ending doesn't mean that's going to be the last you're going to be hearing from us i'm sure you are going to hear from both of us on on future podcasts mm. coming up but for for this chapter we feel that now would be a good time to just draw a line under it leave it on a high not let it just kind of peter out into some sort of mediocre thing um yeah. and i have seen that with a couple of other podcasts where um it it's just suddenly ended and They've not even they've not mentioned anything and they've not acknowledged it, it. Yeah, it's 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 curious, isn't it? And it, it has actually been almost two years to the day. Yeah, since we first started recording uh, uh, measuring up podcast, uh, we've done four seasons, fifty shows. It is almost the perfect point to end it on, which is what we we kind of agreed uh, upon. Uh, and during that time, you know, over the last two years, we've we've changed on a personal level. We're not doing the sort of work that we were doing then when we started this. We were both one-man band maker installers, and, and although I'm doing a little stretch of that at the moment, that's not the focus of our our main business yeah. these days. Um, we, we are, you know, it's changed. Yeah, when, when we first started this out, we were absolutely full-time doing the installs, and both of us 
aren't doing that anymore and and it means that the what the the show originally started out as um it it's not the same show and um i know a lot of people love just hearing us chat about stuff but as i say don't panic watch this space watch our yeah. channels um you are going to hear from us again so don't don't panic the that's not the end of our podcasting lives by any stretch of the imagination we're certainly not done with the medium i think if anything it's proved that we can turn up and talk for a couple of hours about almost anything but it's it's not necessarily right for for the measuring up podcast and i think yeah as we say it's it's better just to draw a line under it now and maybe we'll start things afresh uh, later on not necessarily together obviously um i think we are we are we still have ideas of our own to uh, to do other podcasts on other topics. Indeed. Accidental electric vehicle podcast, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, isn't that what this is? <laughs> I think it is, yeah. Anyway, so on that note, we'll, we'll chat a bit more about the businessy side on the, on the Patreon uh, yeah. bit afterwards. But, um, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening to, to the 50 shows that we've we've done to date yeah it has i mean not we're not going to get all maudlin about this and uh, and, and go over all our favorite moments or anything but it's been a, it's been an amazing learning experience for both of us um yeah I, I i think andy has probably forgotten more about high level audio than i will ever learn but even i know more than i will ever want to know <laughs> <laughs> about high level audio uh, you know so much about it and, oh uh, I don't, honestly I'm, you know, I, I, I wish i knew more I w- i'm so out of touch um mm. from back in the day when i used to do it on a very regular basis and uh, but it, it's uh i mean audio has always been a, a passion of mine anyway mm. and um it's something that uh, that may be resurrecting in the future. I don't oh, know. That, that's another another thing. Well, I've always said at, at some point I would want to resurrect the drumming channels that I've got, and uh-huh. not necessarily in the in the near future, but um, it's certainly crossing my mind in what, whatever renovation we do. I would love to somehow have a soundproof room and get the real the real drums yeah. up and around. What you what you need is like a separate garage that you could put MDF all throughout it and make it really soundproof and uh, and get your drum kit in there. Yeah. That was the original plan. Yeah. That was the original plan for our garage here, you know. I, I can't remember if I told you, but the when we first moved here, um I'll try and put a picture of it somewhere, but I, when we first moved here, I was going to soundproof the garage and turn it into a recording space because I was teaching drums then. I thought, well, I can turn that into a teaching room. And I worked out that to pay for the costs of converting the garage into a fully soundproofed studio, I would have to be teaching until I was 87 years old right? in order to pay for it, Yeah, just through the the drum lessons, basically. Yes. So it, yeah. was, it was like, no, that doesn't really make financial yeah. sense. And we ended up just using a, a room in the house for teaching and... Uh, Turned the garage into a workshop. It was and the rest is history. And the rest is history, yeah, yeah. Yeah, great stuff. Good, good. We had some great follow-up, as always, as we always do. This one comes from Steve. Steve says, hi, guys. Just catching up on the excellent podcast, Typical Days. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Steve says he's worked in the building trade since he left school, and he's now 48. For 17 years, he worked uh, for a building company, mainly doing joinery works, and since then he's been self-employed doing handyman-type work. Uh, Steve's wife uh, is now back at full work after maternity break and it's up to him to get the kids ready for school and drop them off uh, pick them up and make their tea and all that sort of stuff and he says he's finding it extremely hard to keep to school hours 
Steve says that he's really now like to start picking and choosing his jobs more and getting into making cupboards as well as his wife's wage will cover the bills and so on. So he's been trying to find a workspace, but the cheapest actual usable space he could find was £400 a month for 300 square feet. Uh, obviously, any workspace he finds has to pay for itself. But he's thinking that it would be much easier leaving a workshop than telling a customer that he has to leave at three. Uh, I'll come back to that in a sec. Uh, Steve says, uh, how did the two of us make the transition from doing handyman work to having workshops and being full-time cabinet makers? Um, I think we covered that to an extent in the very early shows, didn't we, Andy? We, we talked I about we did. where we came from. Uh, I think it was episode one or two. Uh, but basically, I, I well, you, you, you tell your story, go on. Yeah, just customers would ask for bigger and better things. You know, you yeah. would start off just putting a shelf on the wall and then it's like, oh, I would like a solid wood shelf. And then you do start doing a bit with solid wood and then it's like, oh, can you make a cabinet to go with it? So you make a cabinet to go with it. Oh, uh, oh, that's really good. Could you do um, a unit that fits into this corner? Yeah, no problem. Can you do some larder shelves? And then it just, it just gradually turned from bigger yeah. and bigger things. And eventually... You know, once you've made a cabinet, you can make two cabinets. You can make three cabinets and join them together. You can put a top on. So once you understand the the basics of how it all works, it's just a question of scaling that up. And it quickly became apparent that it was going to be much more profitable to work on a single big job that lasted for a whole week or two weeks than it was to work on lots of little individual jobs that were scattered over a one or two week period. And you would end up with like lulls and and just constant feast or famine basically. And, and eventually it it just got to the point of turning that more into doing alcoves, fitted furniture and and things just because it was a a more profitable way of doing things. Um, But to do that, you need a workshop. Well, uh, I'll just say that I I do know an awful lot of people who work very happily out of the back of their vans or work in customers' houses and make stuff kind of on the fly, you know, with no plans particularly, but made to fit the space that's there. And if you're happy to do that, then that's, that's a very reasonable, very effective way of doing things provided you're happy working out of the back of the van i I never liked that personally i always much prefer to build stuff in a workshop where i've got a bit more time uh and and can take things a little bit more steadily at my own pace um uh, and i just found it more convenient uh, yeah and it's it's it's, it's nice working in a workshop you know you've got your music or podcasts and and you've you know where everything is and it is way way more efficient working in a workshop than it is mobile um but at the same time uh i had the luxury of a, a garage you mm. had a, a unit that you got a, a really good deal on i had a uh, i had the space already yeah which was um so i was already in the space yeah before i decided to turn it into a workshop so yeah uh, and again we've we've talked on the podcast before about the the difficulty in finding relatively small workshop space i've got to say 300 square feet for 400 quid a month i don't think that's bad at all it's it's um, good it's 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 a small space but as we know we can you can work in small spaces you can make it work for you and small spaces are like hen's teeth they are they're really hard to come by yeah so if you've got one that has good access uh, decent power and light for that sort of money. I think that's that's not bad. Uh, the only way you, the only way you'll get it cheaper is if you can actually turn a garage that you already own 
into a workspace. Uh, and then I think as we've discussed before, you, you run into potentially all kinds of problems with neighbours, nuisance, noise, all that sort of stuff. Uh, could cause issues. I will say just one one quick thing uh, that Steve says uh, earlier on. He says I think it'd be much easier leaving a workshop than telling a customer that he has to leave at three. I don't know about you, Andy, but I've never come across, or very rarely come across, anybody who's given me any earache about that. The, the few times that I've done it, I think most people, if you say, "Look, I'm sorry, I've got to go at three to collect my kids," the vast majority of people say, "Yeah, fine, that's that's yeah, yeah. no problem at all," because they they generally understand the the only time I've had any kind of niggle with that is when you've got perhaps more career-focused individuals who maybe have their kids going to a nanny or a childminder and they think, well, I'm doing that. Why Why aren't you doing that as well? <laughs> sort of thing. I would generally say to customers, you know, I'll be there for the week, but I'll not necessarily be there mm. all the time. Um, I'll be arriving about half nine. I'll be leaving about three because I need to pick my daughter up or whatever. I think the hardest thing for me is when you're right in the middle of something, yeah. And it's like, oh, I really want to get this bit finished and just get to a stopping point. And you know you've got another half hour of work, but it's it's three o'clock and you, you've got to go. go. You've got to go. Yeah. And you, you can't just yeah. – and you've just got to literally down tools and leave, try and leave everything as safe as possible unless you're yeah. going to be coming back later on. But that, that was rare. Normally what I would do is um, kind of get everything to a stopping point, leave, pick my daughter up, and then I would – try and get back in the workshop and do a bit of workshop work like building doors or whatever. I would leave that for the afternoon, say from four till six or four or seven or something. Right. Just getting a few more hours in the workshop ready for the next day. Nice. Yeah. Um, but it, it was always a challenge. It feels like you've only just arrived when, when yeah. you haven't th- start thinking of, if you're not getting to site until half nine, 10 o'clock, and then you haven't to think about packing up at half two. Um, it it's it is tricky. Yeah, uh, it's worth mentioning as well that often if you if you are working with uh, for somebody who has a family of their own, they often have their own kids coming home at half three, and may not want you around anyway. So yeah. it's not always a not always a, a a big issue, a big problem. But yeah, it is it is much nicer. I personally find it much nicer to uh, to work in a in a workshop environment and to do my own thing. The little cabinets and, and shelves that I did uh, last week that on the install, it was so nice to be able to just slot that cabinet into the into the space that was it was made for yeah. and then just to clip the door on and know that that was going to shut perfectly and the lock was going to work just fine. You're not messing about trying to fit that stuff yeah. on site. You've done it all before. It's all painted. It just needs to go in and, and, you know, screw it down and it's done. Yeah. And, and making doors and things like that. I mean, door, doors are hard to do mobile because uh, mm. you're generally going to be probably clamping them up and things if they're going to be uh, like panel doors and things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they can be done mobile, but it's just way, way easier in a in a workshop. But just be careful you don't overcommit, do the numbers, don't sign up to anything uh, like for long leases or anything like that until you're yes. absolutely comfortable that you, you know you're going to be able to sustain that, you know. Always try and get a break clause in your lease agreement so that you can get out in six months or a year's time yeah. if things aren't working out and... Yeah, and if it if it is a commercial space, Steve, uh, also look carefully at waste disposal, yeah. uh, nuisance, noise, that kind of thing. See if it's in a, an industrial environment, then you'll probably be all right. But if it's a sort of garage type 
small workspace, then you've got to be a little bit more mindful of, of who's around. Uh, and of course, if it is a, a business space, then look at, uh, you need to factor in business rates as well, yeah. depending on the level of, uh, of rent you actually pay. So yeah, uh, Steve also says, by the way, it was me, we mentioned in a previous podcast the other week, he said he used to get meals cooked for him by the head chef uh, instead of getting a sandwich. Uh, he, can tell, he says, I can tell you his metabolism is very different at 48 than it is when he was 21. <laughs> yeah. Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. What what um, electric supply do you have in your workshop? Do you know? It's a it's a straightforward thirty two amp right. feed. Yeah. So it's reasonable, but it, for a while, because the, the electrics are actually being upgraded now, but my supply was originally uh, came off a, a fuse board off a consumer unit that was in another unit. So if I if mine, I had a, a period where something I had was tripping a breaker i'd have to go to the unit next door and ask them if i could get in to reset all of my electrics it's oh, wow. rather unsatisfactory anyway after a, uh, that kept going kept happening um they were convinced them to put a uh, a separate breaker in in my unit but it's just a simple 30 amp breaker yeah uh, with a rcd in it that trips before the other one basically yeah so it, it does mean that i can switch all the uh, all the sockets off uh, in one hit, uh, whereas the lights are on a different circuit altogether, so I have no idea where, where they come from. Just, yeah, uh, the whole the whole building has been added to and messed about with over many many years, and uh, a bit of a yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't. You know, the, the guy has been there. Where are we now? It's February now. He's been there since before Christmas, working on all the electrics in the building. It's a huge mammoth job. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's the thirty two amps ample for pardon the pun should be for, plenty for, yeah yeah I, I, someone dropped me a note i can't remember if it was by email or, or patreon but someone dropped me a note to say that they're getting a, a workshop up and running and at the minute i think it's got a 60 amp supply wow but their electrician advised them to operate it to a 100 amp supply Crikey. and not only that but the electrician advised that they need to get the electric board to check the, to do tests on all of the equipment he's running because um, industrial equipment can cause interference uh, to other buildings and things like that. And it's like, I, I just said to him, like 60 amp, that's, that's five times what I've got. And yeah. you know, what, how, what are you planning on running? And yeah. Maybe if you've got like giant, I don't know if you're getting three phase in or anything like that, but um, for, for a normal workshop with like a smallish table saw and yeah your, your bog standard tools that you're going to be using at, at the end of the day you're only generally going to be using one tool at, at once yes and okay you might have heating on you might have dust extraction on you might have an air cleaner on so you need to cater for those three things i know that if i've got my little fan heaters on if I use my chop saw, sometimes mm. that can trip the electrics because yeah. um, it, it's just the, the initial burst of power it seems to take to get the, the blade up to speed can sometimes trip it. So I just switch my little fan heater off before using any of the bigger tools. Um, sometimes it does it and sometimes it doesn't, but I suppose it is on the verge of 16 amps. So it, it's I've, I've only got 16 amps applied to my workshop. right? And... Uh, and it's fine. Thirty-two would be be great, but it would probably need. Uh, could it be? Uh, it would definitely need. It's only a sixteen amp breaker, I think, because that's what was in. Um, I was reluctant to 
upgrade that on the basis that that should probably be an electrician upgrading the circuit. Yes. I'm not sure it's, yeah. again, getting into the the whole reg side of things. So I decided yeah. to just keep it as a, a 16 amp, and it's been fine. But mm. uh, yeah. Again, un- unless you're running big, big sort of industrially rated uh Table saw or something like that, and, and and typically on startup, isn't it, where they where they do that initial power draw, that can be a little bit uh, dicey on a on a sixteen amp uh, yeah. feed or running off a thirteen amp socket, thirteen amp plug anyway. Um, but so much, I mean, worst case now, so much stuff you can do battery. So yes, if if I yeah. was really struggling, I would go for probably a battery chop saw, maybe a battery table saw. For for all I use it, I don't use it enough. Mm. that I would the batteries would ever go flat you know it's like uh, I only use it for the odd little thing for narrow narrow rips and things like that yeah depends on the sort of work you're doing but yes um, yeah yeah 60 amps yeah uh, I'd say the other bit of advice for Steve actually is is which isn't what he, what he actually asked for but um I got a little bit of flack on on Twitter because when I did my install recently uh, I I mentioned that my delivery guy takes you know oiking stuff up four flights of stairs in his stride because that's what he does and i've got a bit of flack for having a delivery guy um you know there's no shame in in getting help oh absolutely uh, i i get my sheet goods cut by my timber yard because they do a great job and they've got a hunking great panel saw that cost more than my van which isn't saying much but you know it, it's a very expensive panel saw and they do a fantastic job millimeter perfect um there's it, it takes a couple of days Sometimes to get it done, that's not a problem. You just factor that in. You don't have to do everything yourself. Absolutely, I could do everything myself. But if you're in working in a small space, you absolutely do not have to do everything yourself. Yeah. You will you will wear yourself out if that's what you try and do. So pick your battles. Um, get the stuff cut if you can. Uh, and just concentrating on the assembly and the making yourself if, you, if you're working in a small space. And, and similarly with, with the deliveries and things, Find somebody, find a man and van locally who can give you a hand to get the, the carcasses in and that sort of thing, because it does make a big difference. Yeah. made a huge difference to me. I, I absolutely could have gotten these cabinets in to the fourth floor uh, of this apartment, of this building, uh, but it would have creased me. It, it was pretty exhausting as it was um, uh, with, with help. We definitely t- needed to take a breather yeah. before we took the second one up, uh, and I, yeah, I got the install done in about an hour and twenty minutes, whereas I would have been there for the full way, way probably way longer than the the two hour time slot that I had if I'd been doing it all on my own. So yeah, th- there's no shame in getting help. On the contrary, I think it's a smart business move, and you don't want to be um, knackered starting the day you know it's like you want to be like as fresh as possible for when you do your bit you know you're getting paid uh, as a cabinet maker or carpenter not as someone to hoik massive bits of furniture upstairs and if you can fob that off to someone else save your energy for the the important bits that you need to do it's definitely a a valid point. Yeah. I mean, there's a temptation, as always, with these things to chase every single pound, every penny to try and make it yours, especially when you've got, you know, a higher, relatively high overhead, like 400 quid a month of, of outgoings for your workspace. But again, you've got to spend your money and your energy wisely uh, and spend it on the things that make you money. Mm. Um, doing deliveries doesn't really make you any money. 
uh, you know, actually making the stuff and, and installing it is where you is where your value is. So yeah, I'd I'd, um, I'd concentrate on the on the the bits that are profitable to you and, and outsource the bits and pieces that aren't. Yeah, mm. definitely, definitely. And we got a note from Cuz, who was talking. We were talking last time. Uh, was it last time? Or a couple of weeks ago about mm. um, intellectual property on yeah. designs that we we make. And Cuz uh, had mentioned that he listened to our show about IP on designs and thought I would share my thoughts on the matter. Your assumption that the IP of the design of a bespoke project belongs to the designer is correct. Unless the person commissioning the project specifically states that they want the IP for the design, which would then uh, be placed in the contract, which is basically what we were saying. Yeah. The only time this is dubious is when the client designs the project and requests refinement of their own design, I suppose, which, yeah, yeah that's fair enough. If they've kind of come up with a design Interesting side note, many contracts of employment state they will own the IP of any designs or ideas produced by an employee. Yeah, definitely, I've, I've yeah. seen that. Um, where if if you are working for a company and if you're working for a, a bigger joinery company and you come up with a, a design for something, then the likelihood is that that design belongs to the company that you're working for, not, not to yourself. But... Uh, Great to hear you guys are continuing the podcast. Well, we're not. Mm. Oh, <laughs> hope you're both at Maker Centre. I, I can't make it to Maker Centre, but uh, Peter, you're going to be there, aren't you? I so. will be there, yes. Uh, uh, do you want to talk about that for a sec? Uh, you've, you've, yeah, you've opted go for not, it. not to go to Maker Central this I'm, year. I'm not there yes, this year. There's too many other things happening. Yeah. Um, um, and obviously the Measuring Up podcast will not be at Maker Central this year uh, because it will be ended. But I will be there. Uh, I have joined forces with uh, my pals at the Essex Makers group and the hardware offcut shop and we have i should probably have the stand numbers but we we have a big range of stands where we'll be, we will be hanging out so do come and join us we've got a block of four. Oh wow um uh, i think i should probably can i just give me a sec to check the numbers yeah yeah uh, uh, right so uh, we are uh, we have a block of four stands uh m13 14 15 and 16 and we are sandwiched between uh, our friends at Ooze Nest at one end and some crowd called Merka, never heard of them, uh, at the other. So uh, quite a big stand opposite the uh, the main stage. So we'll be there uh, to meet and greet and uh, do come and say hi. Fantastic yeah. stuff. Fantastic. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving it a break this year. That, as I say, just too many other things going on at the minute with the, the house move and workshop move and everything else it's just yeah. straw that well, all the balls are in the air and and we don't need the, that sort of distraction uh, uh all about focus isn't it really yeah definitely but um hopefully i'll i'll get there next year if it's on again but uh we we shall see yeah. uh, we had, fantastic we had another goat from a uh, goat another note from gary gary says hi gents thought you might be interested in this which is to do with uh, workplace exposure limits. So, uh, talking about uh, air quality, uh, Gary says, uh, "Hope the links works." We'll put a link um, the, uh, in the show notes to this. Uh, there's been some changes since the last time this was issued. Uh, so, a document document references EH40, but it's a, a, a government a, a Gov UK link from the Health and Safety Executive talking about workplace exposure limits for, for small uh, workshops. So very good. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Gary says that he enjoys the podcast and keep up the good work. Thank you. Uh, we will, but not 
necessarily on this podcast. Champion. Thank you very much. And we've got a note here from Mark as well via Patreon. Killer idea for a YouTube series to swap houses. How swap? So I, I renovate Peter's and Peter renovates uh, mine. Well, yours doesn't need much renovating other than that workshop stripping out. So uh, I'd be very happy if we just sort of start choosing colours. You know? Yeah, yeah. Not, not paint, the paint the odd wall. <laughs> demolish my workshop for us. But, uh, yeah, I must make a start on taking my workshop to, to bits. Mm. That is on my to-do list. It's, it's like, how long do I leave it before... You see, the problem I've got is what do I do with everything yeah. once I've demolished it? Because it's just got, I need it all for wherever we move to. Although um, I probably won't have a workshop that's anywhere near as big because the whole reason, I mean, I'm saying big, <laughs> my workshop's <laughs> tiny, but um, I don't need it to be that. I only need it to be that size because I was making quite big yeah. built-ins and things like that. Um just for the YouTube side in general, having a home workshop, it doesn't really need to be that big. So jury's out at the minute. It yeah. depends on where we end up and, and things. But either way, I'll I will need all the wood and things for wherever yeah. we move yeah. to. So I would imagine. So is your first project going to be plywood shop cabinets, Andy? That's the that's the question. Plywood shop cabinets and, and then a sharpening video. Yeah, yeah a giant mitre station. I'm <laughs> just going to have a workshop that is literally just a mitre station and nothing else. <laughs> Uh, good stuff. We've, uh, do you want to talk more about EVs, or are we done with that, do you think? We're done with EVs, um, I think. Should we? I don't know. Is there anything? Uh, I got. A, I picked up, because I've been, I've been looking into this a little bit more. <sighs> At some point, I will have to get rid of the van, and it's crossed my mind to try and pick up a cheap EV of some kind, a car, you know, take the seats out, I fold the back seats down, and treat it as a mini minivan kind of thing uh, uh what really surprised me when i started looking into it I, I knew from beforehand that i'd read that um 50 of all greenhouse gases that a vehicle creates over its lifetime are generated at the time of manufacture uh we'll put a link in the show notes to this there's a there's a little piece about this uh, from the guardian and basically if you take the the entire life of a of a vehicle 50 percent of the of the pollutants it generates are actually at the time of manufacture so we could cut our carbon footprint by stopping by 50 percent by stopping making cars yeah yeah <laughs> not not by not by using them just stop making them that'll cut it by 50 percent uh, but it, the guardian article goes on to say uh, that actually electric vehicles are even worse than this and they uh, manufacturing a mid-sized ev with an 84 mile range results in about 15% more emissions than manufacturing an equivalent petrol engine car. And for larger, longer-range EVs, which are basically what, what everybody wants, that travel more than 250 miles per charge, the manufacturing emissions can be as much as 68% higher. So 68% higher than the 50%. That's that's <laughs> pretty brutal, actually. Yeah. Um, again, we'll pop links to both of those in the show notes. Uh, that, would, that was quite an eye-opener. Uh, uh, quite an eye opener as well. Looking at prices, I just you know, we've said before we drive small cars. I wouldn't want anything bigger than a sort of Ford Fiesta sized vehicle, and the only ones that seem to be around at a reasonable price seem to be uh, the early versions of the uh, Renault Zoe, mm-hmm. and often they have a leased battery, which is interesting. So uh, you you pay forty or fifty quid a month 
to lease the battery, but the battery is owned by Renault. So if it reaches a, a point where it's only maintaining, I think it's 80% of its charge, they'll replace it. Right. So you you buy the vehicle, but you lease the battery. So that, that's that's an interesting way forwards. But of course, all these older ones have relatively small batteries, 22 kilowatt hour battery is typical and they're only going to get when they were new they were only getting sort of 90 miles to a charge so by the time they're coming through second hand you're probably only getting 70 miles and that might be enough for a small little runaround vehicle um but even still they're they're still up around sort of six seven eight thousand pounds there's a there's a lot of stuff with vehicles that um i mean and not even connected with the ev side of things but one of the things that i liked about the Tesla Cybertruck and the the concept of the of the Cybertruck is that it's made of materials that never need to be maintained. You know, it it kind of it's almost designed so that if it gets scratched, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, n- nothing can break. It it always strikes me as staggeringly stupid to make cars out of a material where if if you so much as breathe on the bumper at the wrong angle, it's a two thousand pound repair. Yeah. And uh, that, to me, it's like, why? Why do we make cars so fragile? You know, why, yeah. why yeah. aren't they well, just completely self-maintaining? You know, where if it gets scratched, it doesn't matter. You know, if if, if it, but it, but designed in such a way that if it gets scratched, you don't notice it. You yeah, know? I don't know. I know you get some cars that have like the big rubber strips yes. down the side and all this. Sort of yes, thing. it does seem to be a crazy way of, of designing something covered in bright, shiny paintwork that the, the second it gets a ding or a scrape, and again, car designers are, are uh, have to ha- hold their hands up to some of this with all those careful crease lines that look lovely, but as soon as you get a, a ding in that line, it just ruins the whole thing. You've got, you've got to replace a whole panel. Plus, as you say, bumpers, you know, the cars of my youth, sorry, the cars that were around when I was growing up had basically steel girders yeah, bolted onto the front. It was a bumper. It was just. It was literally to protect the rest of the vehicle. Whereas now bumpers are crumple zones and all part of the bodywork. So if you do have a front end, a front end shunt, uh, it manks up an awful lot of the front end of the car. And of course, front end collisions, uh, a lot of them can't be repaired satisfactorily. So they end up being written off for relatively simple uh, scrapes and and. Bumps and misdemeanors, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there must be more. There must be better ways of designing cars, where okay, they might not look quite as pretty, but I think maybe we've gone through that phase of we've we've made cars in every shape and size imaginable because we can. Mm. But maybe the the more utilitarian approach of thinking about the the long term maintenance and the other side of it as well as I always think cars are a lot of money for something that doesn't last very long. You yeah. know, if you if you work out, I don't know, if you spend 500 quid on a washing machine, you're going to expect you're going to get 10, 10 years out, out of it, maybe longer. Uh, touch, your, touch wood, ours has been going <laughs> for 20 years now, and, and, and it's fine. And yet you'll spend 30 grand on a car, and you expect to change it in two or three years, yeah. and... After maybe ten or fifteen years, it's completely useless and can't be used for anything anymore. And any vehicle that retains fifty percent of its value after three years is, is supposed to be you know, a good depreciation. Can you imagine uh, buying something only 
is worth half its value yeah, in, yeah. in three years' time. You think, that's rubbish. I, would, I wouldn't buy that. You buy, imagine buying a house that's only worth half its value in three years' time. It's crazy. And when you think about how insurance is going and all that sort of thing, imagine how much insurance would drop if, you know, it didn't cost two grand to fix a scratch on the side of someone's door. Um, if the car didn't have to be replaced every three years for another new car or, or you know, there's so many things that they could do, and it would have so many knock-on benefits. But I don't know. It always strikes me as odd that cars are so fragile. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like they need to be kept in a garage and polished instead of actually driven, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's just, it seems crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, so... Go on. I was just going to say, talking of, I came across something on YouTube the other day which popped up in my feed. Uh, it was a, a video by the History Guy. We'll pop a, a link in the show notes. Uh, talking about Robertson versus Phillips head screws. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. Fascinating, because it, it is actually related to the auto industry. Yeah. Um, uh, the, whole, the, re, the whole history behind the Robertson screw uh, goes back to Ford and the Model T. And prior to these... The, most screws were slotted, and it was a two-handed job to, to put a screw in. Yeah. Uh, Robertson came up with this idea for the square-shaped drive and, for whatever reason, couldn't get it to be adopted by Ford, and they ended up going for the Phillips instead. They, they only It's an American video, so they only talk about Robertson and Phillips. They don't talk about, about Posse at all. But uh, very interesting. It's all to do with the production line of, of motor in the motor trade. I vaguely remember reading into this when I was making my screws video, and oh, yeah. I'm going to forget it now. Um, but it was something along the lines of Robertson's uh, or Robertson tried to sell the patent, or or someone tried to rip him off on the patent, or something, or, or yes. Ford tried to rip him off on the patent, yeah. or something. Um, and he got his fingers burned. And from that point onwards, he refused to sell the patent. And that's kind of why it ended up being very much confined just to Canada. Yep. Because it, it, he refused to, to license it to any company because he was frightened of the, the patent getting ripped off and, and things. Yep. And that's why it never, never really took off. Although I'm getting a lot of people in the comments now on my screws video saying, oh, I'm in... New Zealand and all we use is Robertson, but we really? we just call it Square Drive. They don't call it Robertson. No, no one in on, in New Zealand knows what Robertson is, but they use Square Drive screws. Fascinating. Um, and also that seems to be bleeding into Australia a bit as well. And I've had a lot of comments of people saying that they have had Posi Drive imported to America. They think they're amazing, yeah. uh, but they're just not freely available in America. Yeah. And the wish the wish they were. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, Phillips just needs to disappear uh, because it, it, it's just pointless. I, I don't understand the point of Phillips when Posi Drive is better and it's essentially the same and you don't have to replace all your tools because you can still use a Phillips screwdriver on them. So yeah. um, Phillips just needs to go. Um, Says Robertson, you who owns the patent to Posi. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Robertson's... Um, I do like Robertson, but uh, I don't know if it's the. I, I prefer Posi Drive to Robertson. I'll be be honest. It, it, mm. It's easier to self center the screw. Yeah, one bit will work on a massive range of sizes of of screws, from tiny little ones up to great big screws on all on a Posi Two. 
Um, I mean, there is only really three sizes of posse, isn't there? Posse one, two, yeah. and three. One, two, and three. I don't. I don't think there is anything bigger than a posse three. I don't, not that don't I'm aware so. of. Uh, posse two does for pretty much everything. Tiny, tiny, yep. tiny screws. Posse one, really giant screws. Posse three, but uh, yeah. And then torques. Um, I've already mentioned, you know, the definite benefits of torques for high torque situations. But yeah, uh, normally posse does fine. And, and yeah, situations where the uh, the screw may be tampered with, it's it's good to have a torques in there to put people off. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Did you watch my? Have you seen my video on the screw sizes? I, I started watching. I haven't finished it yet. I would I would be intrigued uh, as to. Uh, how that compares with your standard batch of screws and uh... right? Oh, well, I, I carry every size around with me, imaginable, and I use probably two or three, depending on what it is I'm doing. Four by forties is is the standard screw with, and I go drop down to three and a halves if I'm popping it into something. Yeah, uh, a bit more delicate. Four by forties are in my box, and, yeah. and four uh, and a half by forty fives as well. Yeah. I have th- three and a half by thirties for whenever I'm joining cabinets together. Yeah. I think I use four by thirties, so I've right. got four by forties and four by thirties. Um, as you say, joining them together sometimes yeah. hide it behind the hinge plates yeah. or whatever. Uh, three and a half by thirties are really handy because you can actually lose the head in a row of shelf pin holes. Yeah, quick tip. Um, yeah. So you can actually drill through that, and the head disappears, and you still put a, still put a shelf pin in there. Screws for your Euro hinges? Uh, I use, ooh, so for to, for the hinges themselves, I use 3.5 by 16s in silver. Yeah. And for the hinge plates, I use a 4 by 16 self-tapper. So it's like a a, a crown crown head. Um, not a... Not a oh, yeah, like a round head. Yeah, round, round yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, and I use those rather than the euro style screws because it gives you a little bit more movement a little bit more adjustment yeah in the slots yeah uh but yeah that that's that's you know they're the they're the mainstay of the of the cabinet making that i do that's so it's almost exactly the same as, as me i have three and a half by 16s for the euros although i've started using four by 16s only because when i did the test tuesday it was dramatic the difference between the three and a half and the four it was like could handle like yeah. double the load um, yeah, and but I I only use them for hinges. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. The, the the it's it's for a, a cup hinge. It's it's about keeping the cup the the hinge in yes. the cup rather than exactly. that's where the yeah, strength come yeah. from. It's it's not really taking any load. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I've also I, I can't get four by sixteens in specs silver for oh, some okay, reason. Okay, so I've had to get uh, I use something else. For the rare rare times when I did a four by sixteen in uh, in a silver, I like the silver finish on the screws uh, for hinges because the gold color screws on specs always sort of jars a little bit with me. Much like the hand painted cabinets, I'm sure customers don't notice these things at all. But uh, for me, it just sort of tidies it up. Yeah, my three and a half sixteens are are gold and. But I'm still getting through. A, a, I've got so many in stock. But then you use gold-plated hinges, Andy. You know well, exactly. the quality of what you, know, you do. It's, it's got too much. So. <laughs> but yeah, I've got I've got so many screws. I'd, I'd, I was mentioning in the video. I'm going to have to do a giveaway or something. It's just 
ridiculous. I mean, I'll I'll get through a lot on the renovation. Yeah, but there's only so many screws a, a man needs. Yeah, well, I, I look at my screw shelf and I've got screws there that I know I'm never going to use. But you know, I've got tiny little screws I'll never ever ever use, and yet, you know, it's only one little box on a shelf. What if you sometimes need to use that yeah. number four by five eighths or, or whatever it is in the right colour? Uh, so I'm always loath to get rid of screws. Yeah, just because you never quite know. Do exactly, you? exactly. But um, what else have we got? Um, I've got a load of work on actually. Uh, my interior designers have woken up to the to the new sp- I thought you were I thought you were ramping stuff down I I am but I I'm happy to do the work for them because they the stuff they do is quite interesting yeah and I've got a couple of little t- and, and also profitable I've got a couple of little tables if you remember way back I did some little side tables that were a killer to paint um they were like three three shelves with a square section in the corners uh and I made the whole thing out of MDF and it took a long time and I don't think I made a penny on those, but they want a, a similar version, a little bit smaller, but with a 25 mil thick section all round. So they're going to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, I'm not doing the painting on those. I'm just making yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so they're going to be fun. I've decided to make them a completely different way by separating the the three shelves out with little 25 mil square sticks, if you like. And I'm going to screw them in. I'm going to put um, uh, inserts screw inserts right uh into the shelves and free free running studding uh into the the, the corner sticks yeah. uh the corner battens and screw them all down with a bit of glue as well and fingers crossed that'll all that'll work fine will it be a video and we'll, we'll oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah yeah there'll be a video on that absolutely uh, and then so yeah they, they keep uh, again i've got a, you know, a few little jobs which are right quite interesting coming through for them I've got this this final, I think the final wardrobe to do, which has been something of long standing, which I'm going to fit in towards the end of the month, early March, uh, which is to fit something in whilst a couple are away. So I'll be able to get in there and do the full install on the video as well. It should be nice. So I'll be able to do a full build and install video on that. And I think that'll be my final, my final install of uh, fitted wardrobes you've said that before you've said that before so look out for that one and then i've got a few other bits and pieces coming through as well so yeah you know, it's it's always ticking over yeah it's uh it's all good stuff well um, my my uh joinery business is officially completely shut down now oh, wow. so that it's it's gone so now you're andy mac media tart Me, andy mac media tart yeah. yeah i mean i Excellent. could always do stuff as a, a sole trader of course um but the company's Shut down now. I, I, I had to. There was no point in just leaving it there. No, sure. Well, if it's not doing anything, it's just. It's got. It's literally costing you money to run. So yeah, exactly. And there's all sorts of things that you have to do with a, a limited company. If if even if it's just sitting there, you know, just filing yep. dormant company accounts and all that sort of thing. So so that's that's gone now. Which mm. uh, yeah, I, I literally I was just. I was debating what to do with the website, and I think. Probably should probably just delete it. I, I, wow. I, I, the website's still there at the minute, and it just basically says yeah. I'm not taking any, any bookings. But it's probably a little bit misleading if the company doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, that, that's probably shaky ground. Even having it there, yeah. I should probably just 
get rid of it, I think. Yeah. But, uh, well, I've got to redo mine, actually, for, for much the same reasons and just say, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking on the... Because mine's all fitted furniture-based, so yeah, yeah, I've yeah. Got, to, got to take all that down and, uh, and have a proper think about that. It's a, it's a hard thing because when you've built something up and it's ranking well on Google and you've got, like, Google Places and all this stuff that takes a long time to build up, Switching it off is a, yeah. a hard thing. It's it's hard to walk away from it. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's difficult. Uh, but, you know, there, there we are, a little bit like the podcast. Yeah. Uh, you've got to draw a line under it at some point. Indeed. Uh, and move on. Uh, and it's probably about time to do that now, isn't it? Uh, before we go, we've got to give a quick shout out to a few other podcasts that you may not have heard of or you may have heard of, but you might want to go and have a listen to. Give a quick shout out to uh, my old pal, Alistair Johnson. At Freebird Interiors, Alistair started a fitted furniture makers podcast. It's a kind of niche question and answer kind of thing with a guest each. Uh, I think it's a monthly podcast. So we'll pop a link in the show notes to that. He's only got one episode up there at the moment. Uh, the other guy is uh, give a quick shout out to our uh, YouTube pal, Joe Whitaker, Average Joe's Joinery. We met Joe last year at a YouTuber shindig. He's got a podcast or a little um, show which he does live on a Thursday between 7 and 8 as part of makerradio.net. Again, link in the show notes called While the the Glue Dries. And after that goes out live, that's available as a a downloadable podcast as well. Uh, So if you like your podcast with a little bit of music and chat, then that's a good one to watch out for. I'd also like to give a quick shout-out to uh, my Essex maker pal, Nate, from Simply Ornate. He does a podcast with a couple of other guys called Make Your Own Way. Uh, Again, chatty kind of show between the three of them and they had a guest on recently uh some american guy i've never heard of him jimmy jimmy diaster is that how it's pronounced is that how you i don't know how you pronounce yeah never it. never heard of him anyway uh, that was that was apparently quite good so uh, yeah again link in the show notes to all those uh, all those things um uh, patreon supporters you need to stay with us for a quick little bit of after show for a little bit of housekeeping uh, on the show and we would like to say thank you to uh, a few people uh, we'd like to say thank you to absolutely everybody I think for being with us over the life of the show uh, or for joining us on the show but in particular we'd like to thank all of our Patreon supporters we give a, a shout out to a select few randomly chosen from the list but we'd like to go through absolutely everybody who's eligible that's on the uh, $3 plus tier for Patreon uh, and I would like to say thank you to Adrian Millerton. Uh, Al Knight, Alex McGeek, Andrew Cartledge, Andrew Marnell, Andy Curl, Andy Sims, Ben Campbell from the Colonel Collective, Ben Harker, Ryan McIntosh, Carlos Luciano Morez, Casper Vandenberg, Chris, Chris Davison, Christopher Walton, CJ, Darren Machiavelli, David Chisnell, Dominic Kajinson, Duncan, Eddie Carroll, Fish, Gary Furness, George Hadley, Graham Bailey, Greg Humphreys, this is alphabetical, could you tell? Uh, Harry Kappa, Henrik Pedersen, Yachik Sadlin, Jane, James Hewitt, James Ian Wilson, James Kalala Ringwood, James's Man Cave, James Taylor, Jamie Berman from Felix Doe Carpentry and Joinery, Jamie Fraser, and Jason Hook. And a massive thank you to Jay Wong, Jeffrey Cohen, John Fogarty, John T. Lynch. Jonathan Holford, Keith Turner, Kevin Miller, Chris Mark Duthie, Matt Parker, Matt Roberts, Michael Stringer, Mike Broom, Nick Makes, Nick O'Donoghue, 
Nico Wilson, Owen Bullock, Pascal from MK Creations, Paul at Cunningham's Custom Creations, Paul Gardner, Piece of Timber, Peter Edwards, Peter Tone, Phil Wilson, Phil Frost, Randall Davis, Ryan Hunt, Sam Valiant, Sean Jeffrey, Simon Knightley of Simon Makes It, Stephen Wardley, Steve at Fenrika Woodstuff, Steve Avery, Sue Townsend, The Strawbite Workshop, The Woodgrafter, This'll Do, Tim, Tim Bowers, Tom Frost, and Tony Carnell. Wow, there's a lot of people there. A lot of Jameses. A lot of, a lot of people called James follow our show. Yeah, a lot of Jameses. Many, many James, Many Andys as well. Are you sure you haven't had those? Thank you so much to all of you for supporting the show over the last two years and over the last 50 episodes. Uh, you have literally kept the lights on on sh- this show and allowed this to exist. We will give you a little bit more information of behind-the-scenes stuff in the after show that we'll be doing shortly. It's it's a little bit inside baseball, but um, the podcast will be up there for as long as we can keep it up there, um, and it's we're not deleting it or anything at the minute. Um, so, by all means, you know you can still listen to back episodes and, and all that sort of thing. You've still got all the um, the the after shows and exclusive shows on Patreon and whatnot as well. But we'll give you a Patreon update on, in the after show. Uh, yes, indeed. I, I've said it many, many times, and I'm going to say it just once more. It's been uh, a pleasure to have had the pleasure of your company, and uh, we'll see you again. Take care. Thank you, and it's been a genuine pleasure talking to you Peter over the next couple of years and we will definitely be staying in touch and you will definitely hear us on future shows as well take care folks you bet bye